Hey friends, I have a very wise guest on today's podcast who's in her early 20s, but she is wise beyond her years. I actually had a really hard time interviewing her because I got so into her answers that I was like, oh shoot, I have to ask you another question. (laughs) Um, But anywho, Taylor Joy Murray is the author of two books, her most recent book being called Stop Saying I'm Fine, Finding Stillness When Anxiety Screams. And some of my favorite things you have to look forward to in our conversation um I asked her you know what does leadership look like to you and she talked about how everything we do flows from who we are so in her definition of leadership she highlights the importance of looking at our own life and paying attention to our own hearts and souls and being the first to be vulnerable she talked about listening well being curious asking good questions and then from there What that flows into is cultivating a safe environment for other people to grow and to develop. And that is leadership in a nutshell. So um, that and many, many more wonderful, wonderful perspectives that she shared. I'm so excited for you to get to hear from her. Welcome to today's episode of the Best You Can Be Leadership Podcast, where we offer bite-sized lessons and steps that you can implement as a part of your journey towards becoming the very best that you can be. This is your podcast host, Brigitte Bornstein, and just so you know, for planning purposes, we release a new episode the first and third Tuesday of every month with some amazing guests. Thank you so much for joining me for today's discussion. I hope you'll return my handshake to you. You can do that through becoming a part of this community on Instagram, my website, bestyoucanbe.com, or by subscribing and leaving helpful comments. Oh my gosh, I always love it when I like hit record and it starts working. Hi, Taylor. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for hopping on from literally the other side of the world. So Taylor, um, how are your travels going? Like what's been the highlight so far? Yeah, good. So I am in Chiang Mai, Thailand right now. And we're actually at 7.46 a.m. right now. So we're recording in the morning for me. And it's been so sweet. So yeah, I just finished my my third semester in my master's for clinical mental health counseling. And I'm here visiting my family for Christmas. So it's been really awesome. Nice, warm, tropical weather for Christmas. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, I love that. Um, We follow each other on social media and I was just like drooling over an acai bowl that she got the other day. (laughs) Oh, God. It was and it was in a coconut. Like how that's that's a great way to eat a smoothie bowl. (laughs) I agree. I agree. Full full on experience. Um, Well, I would love to just start off with having you share kind of whatever you would like from your journey with anxiety. And um, to add to just on like a personal note. I listened to your interview with Proverbs 31 podcast, which I love, love, love their ministry. Um, And you mentioned thinking to yourself that you didn't want anxiety to be a part of your story. And that, that really stuck out to me because neither did I, (laughs) Um, I uh, usually actually really struggle to find the words to describe just kind of the immense waves of fear I would feel in moments of crippling anxiety and panic attacks. And I would, I would struggle to kind of put that into words, but on, on repeat in the back of my mind, I can recall 
just this phrase, you know, or, or just this idea thinking in the back of my mind, you know, how did I get here? How did I get here? How did I get here? And so as someone who is still working through finding the words to apply to that part of my story, I'm so grateful for you sharing yours. And I'm so grateful also just to see, you know, because I know this is, this is something that we were just talking about because I know, you know, God has already used my walk with anxiety and panic attacks. I'm so grateful to see how he's using your journey to, to encourage a lot of people. And I think that's just really inspiring because we know that, you know, bad things always work out for good. Um, but yeah. somehow, you know, seeing it, seeing it really kind of puts energy behind that belief. So anyway, I'm going to button it up. I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> um, but I just want to let you kind of walk us through your story, whatever that looks like for you. Yeah. I just, I love how you say that he turns hard things and he, into good. And that's truly I think the redemptive nature of God, but for so much of my story, I truly thought I was excluded from the promise. <laughs> and I it, anxiety has been such a crippling, hard part of my story. And I was honestly, I was even talking about this with my mom the other day. I was probably born anxious. I've been struggling with anxiety for as long as I can remember. I remember having panic attacks from a really young age. And I started struggling a lot with anxiety during high school. And I think a lot of it, a lot of the anxiety was triggered just because my family was moving cross-culturally. Um, we were transitioning to another culture. Um, as a missionary kid, we, we moved, we first moved overseas when I was nine. And so just wrestling with um, what it looks like to adjust to a different culture, to a different country, to learn a different language, to build new friendships. And mm -hmm. um, I'm a really excellent um, emotion stuffer. <laughs> and so for a lot of my middle school and high school years, I would just stuff emotions, stuff emotions. I wouldn't, um, I didn't know how to process it. And a lot of my story is feeling the need to always pretend like I was fine. And so I would just stuff my emotions in it. And I had a really hard time identifying what I was feeling it when I was feeling it. And mm -hmm. for me, a lot of when you when you study anxiety clinically, a lot of what anxiety is, is our brains trying to tell us that something deeper is happening inside of us. It's our body's response to emotional stimuli. And so a lot of my anxiety was the result of me stuffing emotions and unable to process them in a healthy way. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I kind of went through high school and just really struggling with a lot with anxiety. I also, a big part of my story is an eating disorder. I started struggling with disordered eating during high school. And um, when I graduated high school, when I was 18, I went to a gap year program in Germany. And that's when things got really, really bad. And um, there was this moment when I think I hit rock bottom and I was in a fetal position on the bathroom floor in the middle of a panic attack. And that's when I think I began to say for the first time, I'm not fine. My book is, my new book is called Stop Saying I'm Fine. <laughs> and it's in that moment when I really became honest with myself and with others and with God and said, I'm, I'm not fine. I need help. And I began a really long 
journey of healing that included a lot of counseling. It included residential treatment for 10 weeks at a treatment facility um, in Indiana. And after, so I, 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 I graduated, I like finished my gap year program in Germany, went to treatment during the summer, and I started my freshman year of college that fall. So it was a really fast turnaround. Wow, super fast. And yeah, and I remember going into college um, really wrestling with what it looks like to live well inside of a story where anxiety is a really dominant theme. And just began going through my freshman year of college, still really struggling. Um, and at the same time, looking around at my peers and other students who were on my halls and seeing how much of a struggle anxiety is. Do you know, I was reading a, re- a recent research article that said that over 90% of Gen Z struggles with anxiety. Wow. But like all of us. <laughs> And so wow. the more I began sitting with my peers and with other students on my halls and hearing their stories and their struggles with anxiety, I just began um, asking myself, like, what would it look like to write about this and write about my own story? And so I started researching and writing. I started talking with professors and pastors and counselors. And I just started writing this book that really sits, like you said, at the intersection between therapy and spiritual formation and really mm-hmm. ask the question, what does it look like to live well inside of a story where anxiety is a dominant theme? And what does it look like to be a Christ follower who struggles well with anxiety? That is really, really beautiful. I love what you said. Could you repeat it? Um, you know, your your mission is sitting at the intersection between uh, therapy and spiritual formation. Is that what you said? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really beautiful. Um, I love that. And I am shocked that that many people, I mean, I'm not shocked, but I am, I'm pretty shocked, I guess, that so many people are struggling with that. You know, it's like something you hear about and it's being talked about more and more, but 90%. So many. That is out of this world. Oh my goodness. I mean, like what? Wow. Okay. Um, could you kind of backtrack a tiny bit and explain to us what the difference is between worry and anxiety? Yeah, so I love this question, and it's something that when I first started really um, my own healing journey with anxiety um, and began studying um, what anxiety is and um, healthy ways to move through it, I really began to try to study this question and the difference between worry and anxiety, and I'm realizing that they actually, they are so different. Worry, um, what I'm learning is a primarily focused on future oriented thinking. So worry is mainly in our heads. It's control based and it's, uh, it's about looking into the future and seeing how we can control the situation that's coming up in order to not worry anymore in, our, in order to feel in control and better, um, about moving into the future. And, um, when I look at scripture, I think one of the things that originally kind of caused me to study the difference between worry and anxiety is because there's so many passages in scripture that commands us to not worry and to not be anxious. And mm-hmm. there's so much about my struggle with anxiety that I feel is I can't control. 
like I can't control my anxiety. I can't control when I feel anxious. And mm-hmm. so I began really studying scripture. Like, what does this mean as a Christ follower who struggles with anxiety and with panic attacks? And so I began to actually do word studies. I am a nerd. <laughs> word studies of the root words of when anxiety, that word anxiety is mentioned in scripture. And when, and especially when Peter and Paul command us to not be anxious about anything, that root word is actually worry. Mm. And, it's, and so, and I, that just began to revolutionize the way that I saw my anxiety because I was feeling so much shame for the anxiety that I was feeling. Um, wow. And then I began to study anxiety and I began to see that when anxiety is most often, it's felt in our bodies. It's a physiological response mm-hmm. connected to our felt sense of safety. Like I mentioned before, it's a biological response to emotional stimuli. And another way to kind of put this is what is the opposite of worry? It's trust, right? Mm-hmm. When I feel anxiety or when I feel worry, I go to God and I ask, will you help me trust you in a situation? Will you help me to release control, to, to surrender mm-hmm. um, control in the situation? When you think about anxiety, what's the opposite? Connection, groundedness. There's such a big difference between the two. And so I think learning to be more aware of, okay, when am I feeling anxiety? When am I worrying about something? And how can I move into a healthy response for both of those things? Um, Whether that's trust or whether that is um, reaching out to someone about my anxiety and saying, you know, I'm feeling anxious right now. Can you help me process this? Can, Mm -hmm. Can you help me? kind of move into the the kind of what's underneath this and pinpoint what's an emotion underneath this, this anxiety that I'm feeling. And so I think I'm really learning. It's hard to differentiate between the two, but it's such an important part of being able to move through either our worry or, or our anxiety in a, in a healthy way. Yeah, that is so cool. And, you know, I, I asked that question because I, I, knew your answer. Um, mm-hmm. because again, I heard it in an interview and I was like, Whoa, I have never, I had before you, before you said that I had never thought about the difference between worry and anxiety. But I think I, especially your description of anxiety as being like a response in your body. Right, I can a hundred percent get behind that. I think that that is a pretty spot on differentiation. And I think it's also important to make and kind of have those definitions in our mind, because so often I think you said something about, you know, feeling um, shame about your anxiety. I feel like that is such a hurdle to overcome. But once you're at least over the hump of like not feeling shame about it, that's already Mm -hmm. so much progress. And when you're able to understand like, oh, this is my body's response to this. Okay, well, let's just find out what we're responding to. It's kind of like, you at least have this puzzle that now you can start to put together. And I already feel like that um, you know, kind of helps you feel like, okay, like I'm making progress. I'm doing this. Like this isn't, you know, my fault or something. Um, and I, and I love that too, because I think with shame, when I felt shame for my anxiety, my response toward myself was so Mm self-condemning and self-critical. But when I began to learn to view my anxiety as a response in my body, I began to, to, to respond, to learn what it looked like to respond to myself more with curiosity, 
with compassion. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm feeling anxiety right now. I wonder what's going on inside of me. Mm-hmm. And that 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 response to myself is so different. And I think it creates more space to actually through move through our anxiety in, in a faster yeah. and healthier way. Yeah. No, that's really, really good. I um I don't know if you've I, I don't know like if in your journey you'd be able to relate to this part, but I know for me in my my I in my mind, and I'm not an expert like you, but in my mind, I kind of put panic attacks and anxiety together just because in my personal journey, they were like two peas in a pod. Yes, um yeah. and yeah, for me with the the response, what what helped was like um realizing, oh, like I have now, you know, my brain has now been conditioned to, you know, anxiety, boom, 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 and then immediately a spiral into a panic attack. And from there, it was just like, your body's frozen. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so like, I at least was able to, and this wasn't my own idea. You know, I, I think that um, Craig Groeschel actually has an excellent book on this. Um, I can't remember the winning the war in your mind maybe is, yeah, is yeah. the title, but talking about the spiral as like a, like an actual body response. So me viewing panic attacks that way helped me realize, oh yeah, my my brain is amazing. All of our brains are amazing. And so my brain has gotten used to that being the sequential order of things. So if I can just, if I can just, you know, work on, you know, the discipline to to stop it in its tracks, then maybe I can prevent the rest of it. So that's at least how I approached it. But it just helped so much to lift that weight off my shoulders um, to do that. But the biggest way I did that um, was a lot of a lot of prayer. And I really like how at one point you've talked about, um, you know, shifting your perspective away from, you know, Lord, please fix this problem and towards asking the Lord to help us seek him in our trials and in our anxiety. And that's something like my husband really helped me a lot on that to, um, you know, not just, oh, let's take it away, take it away. But like, how can we just pray all the time? Like, okay, Lord, like help me depend on you. Help me to surrender this to you. Yeah. Like, yes, please heal me. But like, help me to, in that moment, turn to you um, mm-hmm. and not towards the problem. So how, like, can you walk us through kind of like what, what it took to shift your perspective to that and how we can all do that too? Yeah, I think it, this is something I'm so still learning right now because I think pain and suffering is a part of life that will always be there, you know, mm-hmm. and so I'm still really learning what this looks like in my own life. But I think one of the things that made a really big difference for me is, um, you know, that bathroom floor moment that I talked about in Germany when I um, had literally like isolated myself in a bathroom stall, mm-hmm. God felt so far away. He felt so far away. Mm-hmm. And it was in that moment when I began kind of envisioning him so far away from me and begging him, will you please fix me? Will you fix me? Will you fix this problem, please? You feel really far away, but can you please fix me? But when I began to um, kind of move through, start my own healing journey and begin to, like, I really processed that moment a lot in counseling. And I began to see when I looked back on that moment that God wasn't far away. God was on the bathroom floor with me. Mm -hmm. He's that close to us in the pain and suffering of life. And 
So the question that I began to really ask myself in in moments when I was when I'm experiencing pain, when hard stuff is going on in my life, like in my mind, where is God in proximity to me? Is he, is he far up in, in, you know, in the sky where I'm begging him to just fix my problems? Or is he with me? Is he, he is he close? He's, he says he's, he's inside of us. He's closer than our breath. So where is God in proximity to you? Where do you envision him being beside you? And I think when I began to view God as um, a God of, of compassion, you know, I, that word compassion, to suffer with compassion. He's a co-suffer. Mm. And when I began to view God as, as not a God who was distant from me, who was disapproving of me, but as a God who walked with me, who suffered with me out of his own choosing because of his, of his love, you know, I began to see that where, where I'd asked for the power that delivered, I was receiving the grace that actually sustains. Mm. And that grace um, is is something that I'm still learning to receive, honestly, every day. And um, yeah, just learning what it looks like to look for God and, and recognize that, you know, he's not far away, even though it feels like it sometimes he is so close. And I think um, that has really helped to, you know, shift my perspective more to seeing God in our trials. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, what do you, uh, you know, I guess just from your perspective and your, your healing journey, cause I, um, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, I have a relationship with the Lord, but like, what would you say to someone who's, who's, I guess, maybe listening to this right now and, and like, doesn't have that relationship? Is there maybe like a starting, is there a starting point that you would say for them? And I know that that's a, a new question, so you can skip it if you want. But um, what would you say to somebody who's not a believer and like wouldn't necessarily know where to start with like um, looking for the Lord in in those moments? Yeah, I think um, I think part of looking for the Lord in those moments is looking for connection. Um, looking for another person to be with us in our pain and our suffering. And that's a, a that's a desire, a need inside all of us um, that we long for, someone to see us and to walk with us in the pain and suffering of life. And so I think as um, a first step, maybe for someone who doesn't have um, a similar um, faith story is to look for someone who they feel like they can trust, who can they can be open with about the struggles that they're experiencing, someone who that they can reach out to um, and be honest about, you know, saying I'm not fine. I think that is a, a, a really good first step and something that, you know, is really, really hard to do. But mm-hmm. that I think we were we were created for relationship and for connection. And I think, yeah, yeah, yeah I think that's a good first step. For sure. That is a good first step. Um, although it's so funny, I when I would do that, like um, my husband's name is Drew. Drew was yeah. never good enough. Um, he would point me in the right direction, but like it was always so funny. Like it was never good enough until it was just me and God in prayer. Sometimes all three of us, but like it was it's just sort of funny. But I agree with you. We are definitely wired for that connection. And sometimes me just saying, Hey, I'm anxious, you know, putting a 
putting words to it, stating it, looking in the eyes, like that's already, you know, enough to speak that to somebody. Um, And at least they can say like, okay, all right, got it. (laughs) And um, Um, I think one of the things that I began to learn when I first started counseling um, Mm -hmm. for my anxiety is that it's so funny because in my brain, when I think about verbalizing in the moment that I'm feeling anxious, it makes me think that I'm going to feel more anxious, right? Like it gives me anxiety to talk about my anxiety. Like that's my, what I think, you know, in the moment, but when I, when I find myself actually looking someone in the eye and saying, I'm feeling anxious right now, my anxiety goes way down. Wow. And so I'm learning that it's such a powerful way to actually get our anxiety to start kind of going down a little bit is when we actually verbalize to someone, you know, I'm feeling anxious right now. Like that has been huge for me and being able to mm-hmm. to cope with anxiety and move through it. Mm-hmm. That's really, really good. Um, I like that, that it immediately goes away. Um, and I'm, I assume it's different for everybody, but I do think that that's, that that connection is really smart. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something else, I guess, specifically from your book, um, there's a quote on one of the pages and kind of like one of the quote blocks, a <laughs> quote that you recently shared on social media is rather than our best efforts, God mm-hmm. often chooses our broken wills as the birthing place for new yeah. things. And I wanted to ask you, cause I thought that quote was beautiful. And obviously there was a reason why you shared it, um, you know, another time, but what does that mean kind of in practical application to you in terms of how we can work on reframing things in our minds to, to view it in that way? Yeah. So I, I wrote this, um, this quote in a chapter where I was talking about my, um, very strong aversion (laughs) to going to residential treatment. And I remember there was a day when I kind of just, I like the fact that I was struggling with anxiety and eating disorder was pretty clear. And um, I was talking with my parents on the phone and we were talking about what kind of the best course of action would be. And I remember the first time that they mentioned residential treatment to me and I was like, yeah, like, right, that, that's a great idea, but that is not going to be the story of my life. Like, I'm mm-hmm. not going to have that as part of my story. And it took a really, really, really long time and a long conversation for me to begin to consider something like that. And part of what I began to learn is that there was something about my will having to be broken, that something was broken inside of me. (laughs) Like I had to Mm -hmm. admit that I was not fine and that I needed help. And that is such, that can be such a hard thing to do. And I think um, part of my, my story has been being willing to be honest with myself about where I'm not fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I Psalm 147.3 is one of my favorite verses. And, it's, and it says, the psalmist says that God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And mm-hmm. I began to realize that in order for me to experience that the healing presence of Jesus, like the closeness, I had to first acknowledge that I was broken, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 
that that first step of being able to say, yeah, I need help. Like I'm not fine. And to move from that place requires honesty. And, and so often that requires um, a broken well. And, and I began to realize that um, it's in these moments when we acknowledge that we're not fine, when we feel broken, that God often draws so close and he begins such a new and deeply transformative work in us. Um, mm-hmm. And it's so often and in, in the like, and I think we can both attest to this, like even right now, like it's in those areas of our lives that feel most broken, that feel um, like they're never going to be fixed, that feel like we just want to hide them, that mm-hmm. God so often uses in such specific ways um, to work through us to serve and to bless and to journey alongside others. And for me, it was really this, this process of, um, of my will breaking to the hard but good journey that God had for me. And mm-hmm. so I think reframing that in my, in my, in our minds is, is even looking like, where is that place in our life that feels most broken? Like, and what if that place that we don't want to go spiritually, relationally, emotionally, physically, you know, that place that we feel most broken is the place where God actually wants to begin a new thing in us, where he wants mm-hmm. to begin that healing work in us. And it's a perspective shift, but it's one that um, has really helped me as I've I've worked on healing from anxiety. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's really good and really powerful. Um, definitely probably takes multiple, multiple tries and multiple steps, but I think it's well worth it to work on that for sure. Um, I wanted to ask you to just sort of like open-ended, um, from your perspective, what does leadership look like to you? And sort of, I guess within that question, um, you know, how do you feel like, God has specifically equipped women to lead in in unique ways. Yeah, I love this question, and it really actually got me thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, like, how what what do I think leadership looks like, and how how do I think um, God has specifically equipped women to lead? But I think one of the things that um, I kept coming back to is that you know everything we do flows from who we are. And mm-hmm. that includes leadership. And so I think for me, leadership looks a lot like paying attention to my inner life, um, learning to reflect on, to be self, deeply self-reflective and to, to attune to my own emotional states and self-regulate. <laughs> I think that's mm-hmm. a huge part of leadership because I think if we, if we aren't actively engaged in this kind of work, and in pursuing and maintaining our own emotional health, then mm-hmm. our leadership will flow from a healthy place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think just really, yeah, what what it, kind of looking at our life and, and paying attention to our own souls, our own hearts, um, has been a huge part of, of how I'm learning and growing as a leader. I think leadership is being the first to be vulnerable. It's listening well. And it's being curious. 
it's asking really good questions. Um, one of the things that I realized recently when I was reading through the Gospels is that Jesus, you know, a great leader to look to as an example, asked, do you know he asked hundreds of questions in the Gospels? Almost every one-on-one -on -one interaction that he had with someone started with a question. And mm -hmm. I, after kind of reading and studying those questions, I just began to realize the power of questions in leadership. Mm -hmm. And, and how questions have such a way of um, unlocking space for people to reflect on their own hearts in deeper ways. Mm -hmm. um, I think leadership looks like always growing in self-awareness and being a learner of yourself and others. Um, it's cultivating a safe environment for others to develop and to learn and to discover who they are and to grow in self-awareness themselves and to fail and to succeed. And I think leadership can look different for a lot of us. And for me, my leadership journey so far has been starting out thinking that I never thought I was a leader. <laughs> you know, I've, oh I'm a quieter leader. Um, I've always been, yeah, more introverted. Mm -hmm. And so learning what it looks like with my skill set and with my personality and my my weaknesses to lead from a place that that feels like me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think how God has specifically equipped women to lead, I think, you know, when I look at different women leaders in my life, I see that that women and so many of us have been uniquely gifted in the language of the heart. And mm -hmm. there's I think there uh, the way that God has specifically equips a lot of women to lead is um, being able to unlock the deeper parts of our stories and our souls by naming emotions and by being able to verbalize and articulate the emotional landscapes of our souls and what's happening inside of us. Um, and I think when I've sat under women leaders and they have a way of being able to um, articulate emotions and even thoughts and experiences that happen deep inside of us. Um, yeah, I think that's that's one way I think that God has specifically equipped women to lead. Wow, that was really good. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um I love your description of what leadership looks like. Like I love, love, love. You said listening well. Yep. Yeah. Being curious, asking good questions. Um, I love like that idea of cultivating a safe environment for other people to learn. Um, but then also that like um, self-aware piece, looking at your own life and paying attention yeah. to that. Um but then, wow, like I feel awesome now, right? Because I mean, I'm a woman, um, but I love, 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 love that um, you just highlighted how women, and I agree with you. I think that it is a unique gift um, that on average, um, you know, not to say that a, a man can't be good at this too, but I think on average, yeah, women are definitely um, 
most often gifted in the language of the heart. Like you said, I really like that and naming emotions. And I think that does lend itself to creating a very safe space for people to share what they're walking through, to fail and to succeed, you know, in no judgment, but only understanding and loving environment. I think that's really beautiful. That is totally like I would I asked you that question not necessarily like expecting something and I'm like wow that is that was like a really really great answer um oh my goodness wow you got me thinking um, on that one I was like I've never I've not been asked that question before in an interview so I loved thinking about that <laughs> I love it no that is I mean that is something I'm super passionate about um yeah that that was something I thought about years ago and that was before Um, I guess that was like the seed that was planted to eventually start this podcast was I was asking myself, I was like, wait a second, um, why, you know, what, what makes me unique as a leader? And I, um, not to start a tangent or whatever, but my, some of the best advice I've ever gotten was I went to a military school. It was predominantly male. And some of the best advice I've ever gotten was when my brother told me, um, who is somebody I very much look up to. And he, he went to the same school and he said, you know, Brigida, the, the women who I admire most are the women who lead like themselves and they just lead like women. And I thought, Oh, like, I mean, it's not like a huge, like earth shattering thing, but for me and where I was, I was like, Oh, so you, you mean that I don't have to be bold. You know, I can lead with my you know, introverted or bubbly or nurturing personality. And, and those things do lend themselves to really valuable opportunities, like, like making people comfortable enough to, to speak up about the anxiety they're walking through and things like that. So that's really amazing. Um, Taylor, thank you so much. I feel like I could ask you a million more questions <laughs> and I um, hope that we get to meet someday in person because yeah, you just have the best personality like you are just a warm and welcoming soul so I'm so thankful that um you gave us some of your time today is there anything else that you want to share or um or are you pretty good to go you did share us a lot so yeah I can't think of anything but thank you so much for having me on the podcast this has been such a fun conversation oh my gosh no thank you thank you and I hope you enjoy your time abroad visiting your sweet family thank you so much thanks Taylor Thanks so much for joining me on the Best You Can Be Leadership Podcast. If you are as excited as I am about diving into our potential and stepping into the very best versions of ourselves, then follow me on Instagram at bestyoucanbe and don't be afraid to send me a message. You can also visit bestyoucanbe.com and fill out a contact me form. I can't wait to meet you. In this episode, I've stuck my hand out to introduce myself to you, but go ahead and do the same for me. Tell me who you are, what your story is, and what you would like to see most in lessons to apply to your leadership experiences. Until next episode, keep going, keep growing, and keep becoming the best you can be.